I chose as my text this morning Genesis 12, 1 through 4. It's a short text, maybe a, a text that's familiar to you, but maybe a text that is not familiar to you. And I chose it specifically because it is challenging to me uh, on the 29th of December as January 1st looms. When I think about fresh starts, this text in Genesis chapter 12 is challenging to me because of the faith I see on, on display here in the life of Abram. Uh, Abram here, his name will eventually become Abraham, but right now he has not received his ham yet, so he's still Abram. Uh, that's the worst kind of joke, you guys. You shouldn't even, you shouldn't even laugh. You should not laugh at those. Shame on you. Uh, Abram, this is the first we hear of him. I mean, we hear of him a little bit in Genesis chapter 11, but in Genesis 1 through 11, we've seen a a lot of different things. We see the creation of the world. We see Adam and Eve in harmony with God. We see them fall out of harmony and fellowship with God because of sin entering in the world. We see the curse that falls upon man and his wife and 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 upon the serpent. We see them cast out of the garden. We see the murder of Abel at the hands of his brother Cain. We see Cain sent to wander the earth like a nomad. Later, as we, we get further into the book of Genesis in the first 11 chapters, we'll see the flood, right? Noah, Noah and the flood where the whole earth is so corrupt all the time that God regrets what he had done. He floods the earth and he only saves one family, the family of Noah. And then after that, we even see them in corruption after that. Then we come to Genesis 11 and we see the Tower of Babel where the people that are on the earth unite together and decide to make a name for themselves. They literally say in Genesis 11, let us get together and do something spectacular so that we can make a name for ourselves. And God ruins their efforts, right? He scatters them. He separates their languages so that they won't be united in their service of themselves, At the end of Genesis chapter 11, we see a bit of a a lineage that comes all the way from Shem, who's one of the descendants of Noah, all the way to Terah, who is Abram's father. And then when we get to Genesis chapter 12, we see God call to Abram and say, hey, I want you to go. I want you to go. This morning, as I look at the text, I think about my own life. And and when I think about, you know, January 1st, there are all kinds of things that I want to do. And there are all kinds of things that I want to be. And there's all kinds of places I want to go. I think for many of us, we sort of think that maybe next year will be the the year we'll move into our ideal position at at our job. Or maybe you'll move into your ideal financial position. Or maybe you'll move into your ideal relationship position. Or maybe you'll go to the ideal place or you'll finally live in the ideal home. Or I don't I don't know exactly what your New Year's revolutions are. But many times we have these ideas of ideal places. If I have a summary of the message I want to share with you this morning, it's that I've been personally convicted over the last couple of months that for a follower of Jesus, there isn't really an ideal place. And there's not really an ideal position. There's not really an ideal paycheck. I think you guys all know that whatever you finally get, you're typically not satisfied with. No, for the followers of God, for the followers of Jesus, for us, there, is, there isn't so much an ideal place as there is an ideal posture. An ideal posture that makes every place and every position and every paycheck makes sense. An ideal posture. It's a posture of faith. And we see it in the life of Abram here in these first four verses of chapter 12. Because he's willing to embrace certain things. I want to give you five things this morning that have been sort of a guidestone for me as I think about the coming year. It says here in verse 1 of Genesis 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house 
to the land that I will show you. And the first thing that I've been challenged by, the first thing I'd want to put in your hearts and minds this morning as we think about this next year together, is the idea that you and I have to embrace direction. We have to embrace direction. You know, we're Americans and we like our freedom. We like to be able to go where we want to go, when we want to go there. We like to be able to make our own decisions. We don't like being told what to do. And yet there is something for the followers of God in which we have to be willing to embrace the direction of God when he directs us. When he calls us to move and to go, I love the fact that God comes to Abram here and he says, I want you to go. Abram was already on a sort of a journey with his father. They had gotten all the way to a certain spot and then they had stopped. And God comes to Abram and says, hey, I want you to leave behind what you know. I want you to leave behind what is familiar. I want you to leave behind your country and your kindred and your family and I want you to go. And Abram is willing to embrace the direction of God. That's an important step for us. It might seem elemental. It might seem very basic. But it's an important step for us because many times we sort of want God to embrace our direction. You know what I'm talking about? We want God to do the things we tell him to do. We want God to do them when we tell him to do them. And we get pretty frustrated with God when he won't take our direction. There may be some of you in the room who've been frustrated all of 2019 because God didn't do what you thought he should. Or he didn't do it the way you would do it. It's important for me and for us as a family to remember that we have to embrace God's initiative. He's ascending God. We saw that in John 17, didn't we? Not too long ago, we saw Jesus in his high priestly prayer say in John 17, just as you, the Father, have sent me, Jesus says, so I'm sending them. That's in John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Truly meeting God leads to movement. It's worth asking yourself the question, when's the last time you moved because of your interaction with God? Did you ever move because of your interaction with God? You see, all throughout the Bible, we see that when people come into contact with God, he never leaves them where he finds them. It's why our John series was called Love and Trouble, because the love of God and his interaction in our lives is disruptive. It moves us from the place it finds us. We see that in Exodus 3 in the life of Moses. We see it all throughout the Bible. So many characters. We see it in Luke 5 in the life of Peter. When Jesus looks at Peter and says, I want you to leave your nets and follow me. You think that's disruptive? It certainly is. We see it in the life of Isaiah. We see it in the life of Saul on the road, right? When God meets him there. When Jesus meets him on the road. He is not left the same as he is found. To follow God is to be moved. To follow God is to be sent. To follow God is to be directed. Even the very idea of repentance, right? We talk about repentance, and in some ways that feels just like confessing sin. But repentance isn't the same thing as confession. Repentance in our life is a turning. It's a turning. I was going this direction, and now I'm going this direction. Even the very fundamental building block of our faith is rooted in the idea of changing direction. So I wonder this morning as we head into the next year whether or not you and I are willing to embrace the direction of God. When's the last time he directed you? When's the last time you listened for his direction? When's the last time you consulted his word or his spirit in making decisions about where you would go and what you would do? The calling of God that moves us. I love the fact here that Abram is forced to embrace direction. Not only is he forced to embrace direction, but he's forced to embrace discovery. Discovery. That's the second thing that I'm sort of grappling with in my own life this week as I head towards January 1st, is that God says to him here in verse 1, he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. <laughs> what? 
No, no, no. That's not how we work, right? Now, I'm willing to go where God wants me to go as long as he tells me where it is we're going and how much it's going to cost and how it is that he's going to pay for it, right? I'm willing to follow God's direction many times as long as I have all of the details well laid out in advance and I can sort of do a cost-benefit analysis and determine whether or not I actually want to go the place he's calling me to. But what's so interesting about the movement of Abram in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 is that God calls him to go to a place that he has not declared. He calls Abram to leave and to go without saying where it is they're going to go. This causes Abram to really think about where his security lies. And I would want us to think about where our security lies as well. You see, we like to have the details, don't we? If I were to ask you to invest your money, you'd want to know what it is exactly you were investing your money in. If I were to ask you to take a trip with me, you'd want to know where we're going. You want to punch in the address on your GPS before you leave. We don't like going to a place that we don't know what it is or what we'll find when we get there, what will be asked of us when we arrive. And yet following God is an invitation to embrace discovery. There are many times that he calls us without fully revealing where it is we'll arrive. There isn't really any of us in the room who know exactly what the end of our lives will look like or when they will arrive or what that will be. No, discipleship is about embracing this discovery. Following God is the only way, following God and embracing discovery is the only way to know how important God really is to you. Let me, uh, Corey Ten Boom has a famous quote where she says, uh, you'll never know, you will never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You'll never know that Christ is all you need. And I, I have a feeling at the beginning of this message, if I'd raised, or if I'd asked, you know, for a show of hands and said, how many of you would say, the Lord Jesus is all you need? We'd probably get a pretty universal response in a room like this. We would all go, yeah, of course, Jesus is all I need. Well, how do you know? How do you know he's all you need? Because for many of us, we're not embracing discovery on the path that God calls us into. In many ways, we're following a well-organized path that we ourselves laid out. And we are dependent, but we're dependent upon ourselves. We're dependent upon our own strengths. We're dependent upon our own experience. We're dependent upon our own bank accounts. We're dependent upon our own network of friends. We're dependent upon uh, what we sort of know to be true of nature and the universe and whatever. And we don't necessarily go and be directed into discovery very often, but it's only in the direction towards embracing discovery that we really find out that Jesus is all we need. Otherwise, all you can be sure of is that Jesus is good, Jesus is great, and the things he said are really helpful. But along the way, is it possible to prove to yourself? Is it possible to know that Jesus is all you need? Well, it certainly is possible to know that. But the only way to know it, the only way to have that kind of faith is to embrace discovery along the way, to be willing to go to places that haven't necessarily been clearly defined, where you don't necessarily have all the answers. You see, the reality is you might not like where God is calling you to go if he told you all the details, right? The reality is that if God laid out for you his plan for you for 2020, that might not fit with your plan for 2020. If God told you all that he had laid out, you might see some things in there you'd like to adjust or some things you'd like to argue about or some places you'd like to um, maneuver some. That's what we're used to. We're used to a little bit of, uh, a, a little bit of back and forth. We, li- we like a little bit of negotiation. There is no negotiation in this text, by the way. There's an embracing of 
direction by Abram, and then there's an embracing of discovery. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you to a place that I'll show you when you get there. I remember when I met my wife. I met my wife not too long after I, uh, after I gave my life to Jesus. When I gave my life to Jesus, I was 17, and uh, I was at a camp, and I remember understanding the gospel. I'd heard it my whole life, but understanding the gospel, I fell on my knees, and I gave my life to Jesus, and at that point, I said, hey, I, I will go where you want me to go, when you want me to go there, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm not going to make any, I'm not going to make any plans. In fact, when I went to Bible college, uh, when I signed up for Bible college, they were like, well, you know, what do you want to major in? You know, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't, I don't care. I just want to serve Jesus. And they were like, well, do you want to be a pastor? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And they were like, well, no, you're supposed to have a calling. You know, you're supposed to have a calling. And I was like, oh, no, I do have a calling. I have a calling to serve Jesus the rest of my life, you know? And they were like, well, do you want to be a missionary? And I was like, sure. You know, they're like, no, you're, you're supposed to decide this already. And I'm like, I honestly will go wherever and do whatever. I, I told Jesus at 17, I'm not going to make a 10-year plan. Right? I'm not going to plot out where I'm headed. I'm going to literally live my life in such a way that I'll be ready to move on a dime if you call me to move. It's why the move from Long Beach to Fullerton was not really that big of a deal. As much as I love those people and as much as I love that church, it was easy to make the decision to come here because God's calling was so clear and we live our lives embracing the discovery of God. Figure it out as we go. When I met my wife, this is where I was heading with that story. When I met my wife... I told her when we were very young, I met her when I was 18, and I told her, I said, I, I don't know where this is going to go as far as our future together. I, ho- I hope it goes towards marriage, but let me just tell you this. If you marry me, I've made this deal with God, and I've told him I'll go wherever, and I'll go whenever, and I'll go f- for whatever. So here's the thing. I, I can't promise you we'll ever own a house. I can't promise you we'll ever have money in the bank. I can't promise you that, that we'll ever have any kind of status, or anybody will ever know our names, but what I can promise you is adventure, right? It'll be an adventure no matter what. And if you're down for that, if you're down to just follow God wherever he leads, if you're down to embrace the discovery of God along the journey, then this will be really fun. And it has been. It has, I mean, we, were, we toured around the country for five years in a van. I don't know if she expected that. We lived in the mountains for nine years working at a Christian camp. We got to work in Long Beach. I mean, it, it has been an adventure. But I love the fact here that Abram is embracing discovery along the way. There's no ideal place there's an ideal posture, the posture of faith. It's not about where he goes or how much he makes or what he does when he gets there. It's about having faith in the process. We see that in the lives of many people in the Bible. I think of Esther, right? You think of Esther in, uh, in Esther 4.16 when her, her father, uh, excuse me, her, her like, it's not her father, it's her uncle, is telling her to go and talk to the king. And Esther says in Esther 4.16, Go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I love Esther's heart in that. I'm going to go and do the right thing. And you know what? If I die in the process, that's for God to decide. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say something similar in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, which we'll study later this year. Daniel 3, 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, facing Nebuchadnezzar, say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, and by that they mean if you, if you are going to throw us into the fiery furnace, they say, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not as concerned about the end of their story as they are their posture in the midst of their story. Does that make sense? 
this story may result in our death. We could get burned up in the fire. And even if that happens, we know God has the ability to save us out of the fire. But if he doesn't, you're still not God, Nebuchadnezzar, and we will not kneel. Because the posture is more important than the place. Paul says something similar in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, my life doesn't really matter that much. I just want to finish the thing God's called me to do. I just want to finish this journey. No, in Genesis chapter 12, we see Abram called to embrace direction from God, called to embrace discovery. Where's God going to lead him? He doesn't know. He's called to go to a place that he himself doesn't know. Next, and thirdly, as we study and look at John, or excuse me, Genesis 12, we go past verse 1 to verses 2 and 3. It says, uh, he's, God says to him, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The third thing I'm sort of wrapping my mind around as I head into the new year, not only embracing the direction of God, not only embracing the discovery of God, but embracing dependence upon God. I want you to note that the promise that God makes has everything to do with what God will do and absolutely nothing to do with what Abram will do, Right? God says, I will make, I will lead, I will guide, I will unite. Look at how many times he says it here. He says, I will show you, I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse, right? Who's, who is the one with the power here? Who is the one that, that's making these things happen? It's God. There is in the call of Abram in Genesis 12 an absolute call to embrace dependence upon God. Because God doesn't say to Abram, hey, when you get to this place, you will do this and you will do this and people are going to be impressed with you for this and you're going to have the opportunity to do this. No, it's, it's God saying, I will, I will, I will. How dependent are we in our lives on the promises of God, his ability to show us and to make us and to bless us and to unify us. It's why in our mission statement as a church, the very first thing we say is what? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Fullerton Free is A, right? Why? Because apart from the blessing of God, apart from the power of God, we are powerless. We're wasting our time. There's an embracing here in this new chapter of, of Abram's life, there's an embracing of dependence. It's the opposite of what we saw in Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, I mentioned this already, but in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What do you see their dependence upon in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9? You see the people of the whole dependent upon themselves let us build bricks let us build a tower let us make a name for ourselves and they are dispersed which is the opposite of what they were aiming at it is no coincidence my friends that we get to genesis 12 and god is undoing so many of the curses he's redeeming so many of the curses from the first 11 chapters the people at babel wanted to do a thing for themselves they wanted to make a name for themselves and their efforts failed miserably 
It's not a coincidence that in Genesis 12, God says to Abram, I will make a name for you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will unify the people. Where's the power come from? It comes from God. There is a call for us as we look at the next year to embrace dependence upon God. God will bless, and our blessing is dependent upon his promise and not our efforts. But I want you to see also here in verses two and three of Genesis chapter 12 that that blessing serves a purpose. Note here in verses two and three, he says, I will bless you. And make your name great, what? So that you will be a blessing. The fourth thing, the fourth thing I think I need to embrace, that I, we need to embrace in the coming year is embracing distribution, right? It doesn't just say that God will bless Abram and bless Abram and bless Abram so that he can have more and more and more. So he can have a great name and all this great stuff and he can just collect it. We've talked about this before, that God hasn't created any of us to be a reservoir for his blessing, That none of us are meant to be a container to hold as much of his blessing as possible. That isn't what our lives are meant to look like. We're not meant to be a container for the blessing of God. We are meant to be a conduit for the blessing of God. Right? That it's not just us holding on to the blessing of God and and, and embracing discovery and embracing direction, embracing dependence so that we can have more and more and more, but in fact receiving the blessing of God because of our dependence and our discovery and his direction. And as we receive the blessing of God, then because of our faithfulness in that, recognizing that he blesses us what? So that we can be a blessing. He blesses us so that we can pour out of our lives into the lives of other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is a vital principle that gets missed a lot. Will God bless his people for their dependence upon him? Absolutely. Will God lead us into discovery of new areas that we never would have explored on our own? Absolutely. Will he direct and guide our paths in the coming year and the years ahead? Absolutely. But the blessing of God that is showered upon his people is not simply for their retaining, but rather for their dispersing. He will bless you in every way so that you can be a blessing. He will give you crops in the field. He will fill up your tank so that you can pour into the tanks of others. And so what? It isn't just an embracing of dependence upon God. As we look at the next year and we think of all the things we want to do or the places we want to go or maybe the kind of people we want to be, it isn't about an ideal place. It's about an ideal posture. An ideal posture, a posture of faith that says God is in charge. I will follow his direction. I will be dependent upon him. I will go to a place he leads me even if I don't know where it is we're headed. And I will go to those places so that as he pours into me, I will be filled up and overflowing into the lives of others. You see, when we're filled up and overflowing into the lives of others, then what? Then we start to look like God. Then we start to reveal what Christ is actually like. You want to reveal Christ? So much of our new vision statement, right? All the stuff that we're chasing in the coming years. Radical, radical peace and revolutionary kindness and prophetic engagement, unforced appeal. All of the things that we're pursuing as a body, those things are all about revealing Christ. They're about 
creating an accurate representation of what Jesus is like. What is Jesus like? Jesus had everything. He needed nothing. And he came to the earth, Philippians 2 tells us. He came to the earth, why? To get something else? No. He came to the earth to give. Out of the overflow of all that he was and all that he had, life spilled out of him and into us. So check this out. As God pours into us, as God blesses us, as he leads us on the path, as he makes us a blessing, then what happens? We look more and more like Jesus who had so much and yet wasn't content to just hold on to it but instead made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. We start to look more like God as we give ourselves away. Jeremiah 29.7 talks about the blessing that we can be among other people when we have this mindset. It says in Jeremiah 29.7, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. As we start to seek the shalom of the people around us, the place, I mean, you guys have heard me say this before too, if, if you're family around here, I don't think that God puts churches into neighborhoods accidentally. I don't, I, I don't think that it's, it would ever be worth taking the name of our city, and I know you're not all from Fullerton, but this is a church that God planted in this place for a reason. And our approach to ministry will be different than churches that are placed in other places in different times. You have to pay, pay attention to the place God has put you. Why? Because the place God has put you is exactly the place where God wants you to pour out and be a blessing. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. He's talking about Babylon there, right? He looks at the people and he says, hey, I, I get that you're exiles, but I put you there. And if you'll seek the shalom of your captors in that pursuit, you will find your own shalom as well. You'll find your own welfare. As we look at this coming year and the, and the new start, perhaps, that a new year provides for us, we want to be people who embrace direction, who embrace discovery, who embrace dependence for the sake of distribution. And then lastly, back to Genesis chapter 12. I'll read you the whole thing again. It says, the Lord said to Abram in verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a beautiful promise that God makes to Abram. And then look at verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So Abram went. I feel like there's a verse missing here. I mean, if it, was, if it was telling my story, right? If this is a story of Darren's call, right? There is a verse missing between three and four where God comes and says, hey, Darren, I've given you these gifts. I've equipped you with these abilities. You've got these passions. You're wired this particular way. I've put you in California and I want you to go and I want you to be my ambassador. I'm going to pour into you. You're not going to necessarily know where you're headed or what the end of the story is going to look like, but I want you to follow me obediently and I'm going to pour into you so that you will spill out into the lives of other people. And then there is a verse, we'll call it uh, 3.5 in the story of Darren, which is me arguing with God, which is me going, okay, okay, I get it, but aren't there, aren't there people who are better equipped for this than me? 
Aren't there, I mean, here's the thing. I'll, can, I, can we just put like a time limit on it? Can I, can I do the thing that you want me to do, but can we just say, I'll try it for 90 days. How about that? We try it for 90. I'm going I'm to be obedient to God. I'm going to live a sacrificial life, right? I'm going to distribute your blessing into the lives of other people and not just try and cling to myself. I'll, I'm going to try this thing for 90 days. And, uh, and if I feel happy at the end and I feel an overwhelming sense of peace, if I feel an increased sense of mindfulness, or if this is very life-giving to me or whatever else, right? Then I'll keep doing it. But after 90 days, let's have a reevaluation period. Can I get a contract, right? You fill out a thing where you guarantee me that this is not going to happen. I'm not, you're not going to send me to Africa, right? Not going to get cancer or something. Like, what, what are we talking about here? I just want a couple of clauses. There's a negotiation. No, we don't see that in the life of Abram. What do we see? We see a man of decision. So the last thing, the last point that I am personally convicted by is the call of God comes. Abram embraces direction, embraces discovery because he doesn't know where God is leading him. He embraces dependence upon God because all the blessings are from God and none of it has to do with Abram. He embraces that dispersion or that distribution, right? Because he's going to be blessed so that he will be a blessing, so that he will reflect the character of God in a pagan place. And after receiving that promise and that calling of God, it just says in verse four, so Abram went. When's the last time that sounded like your life? I would guess that for many, I mean, and I'm only guessing because I know what my own life is like. I sit in services in this church, right, on weeks when I'm not teaching. And I receive and I hear the word of God delivered by other people or I sing the songs led by our faithful ministers and, and I am convicted in my heart. And the spirit of God will move in me and the spirit of God will say something like, you know what? You need to ask for forgiveness here. Or you know what? You need to change this part of your life. Or you know what? You need to give more. Or you know what? You need to sacrifice. Or you need to repent or whatever. The, the spirit of God will convict me. And then 3.5, verse 3.5 starts. Even while I haven't even left the service yet. I start figuring out how to negotiate that thing down to something less than transformation, to something less than sacrifice, to something less than simple obedience. And certainly by the time I get to my car, if, if not by the time I get to lunch, I've forgotten the conviction of God altogether. We don't want to be people who hear the voice of God and immediately forget what he said. James is really clear about that. He says, don't look into the mirror and immediately forget. Don't look into the mirror of God's word and immediately forget what you've seen there. You're like someone who looks into a mirror and doesn't do anything about what they see. Every one of us, you know, you get up in the morning and you walk to the kitchen or the the bathroom sink, right? And there's that mirror there and the reflection that greets you is probably not a lovely one, right? You got that drool trail that's sort of collected on the side of your face and one of your eyes is sort of stuck closed with goo or whatever. What if you looked at that reflection? What if you looked at that reflection and you went, yep, time to go to church, right? And you just showed up here like that. I mean, some of you did, right? (laughs) I won't point at you. But for most of us, we see the reflection in what? We see the reflection, we go, oh, I gotta gotta clean my eye, I gotta wash my face, I gotta comb my sides of my hair, whatever, right? (laughs) We make changes based on the reflection, otherwise the mirror is a waste of time. James says, if God speaks to you, If he speaks to you, don't walk away and forget what he said. I love the fact that God says to Abram, leave your home, leave your stuff, leave what you've known, leave your traditions, leave all of that behind and go to a place I'm going to show you and I will bless you so that you can pour out in the lives of other people. So Abram went. That's what I want my life to be like, you guys. That's what I want 2020 to be like. 
I'm not, I'm not making revolutions or resolutions about trying to save more money or spend more money, about trying to go more places or do more things or trying to cross more things off my checklist or be more productive. I'm not making lists about ideal places or positions. I'm not making lists about ideal paychecks. I'm making a, a decision, a determination in my own heart that this next year, I want to start being the kind of man who has an ideal posture. A posture of faith regardless of the paycheck, regardless of the place, regardless of the position. That the posture is on my knees. It's an open-handed God. Give to me so that I can distribute. And that when God calls me, and when God moves me, so Darren went. God called, Darren went. Just like that. No, no 3.5. As I was preparing the message this morning, there were some questions that sort of popped into my head and I just want to put them to you because they were helpful to me I asked myself Darren where is God directing you right now if I'm going to embrace direction where's God directing you Darren what risks are you taking which is sort of rooted in the idea of embracing discovery what risks are you taking church what risks are you taking you know that an encounter with God never leaves you where it finds you when's the last time That you went on a journey of discovery, hand in hand with God. What excuses are you making, Darren? (laughs) What excuses are you making? How dependent are you on God? Or have you removed any need for dependence? I think some of us work really hard to make sure we don't have to be dependent on God. We got our safety nets, right? Darren, are you a reservoir or a conduit of God's blessing? Are you a reservoir or a conduit? I think sometimes I'm most frustrated in my life because I want to be more of a reservoir and that's never what God created me to be, a place for God's blessing to collect. Darren, what are you willing to lose? And then I wrote in the margins, anything? Darren, what are you willing to lose? Anything? Are you willing to lose anything? Because the process of blessing other people, for the record, the process of blessing other people is the process of giving things away. And if you're not willing to lose anything, You'll never bless anybody else. Jesus blesses us as he gives his life away. As we head into the new year together, let's not worry about arriving at an ideal place, but rather together let us be preoccupied with an ideal posture because God's plan for us is better than our plan for ourselves. I have a buddy named Eric. I'll finish with just a little story. I have a buddy named Eric who planned a surprise trip for his kids to Disneyland. And uh, he didn't tell him. We were living at Hume Lake at the time. So it's a little bit of a drive, right? For us, that's like 10 minutes, whatever. But, uh, but for uh, Hume Lake, it's like, it's like a six-hour thing. So he plans the surprise trip. And he, uh, he buys the tickets. He gets it all set up. He gets his kids up early in the morning. It's still dark. It's like four in the morning. And he goes, kids, get out of bed. We're going we're gonna to go on a trip. Dad has a trip. I'm going to take you on a trip today. And they're like, Dad, no, it's, 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 a, it's our Saturday. We don't want to get up and go. We want to sleep in. And he's like, no, trust me. You want to go. You want to go on this trip. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to take you on an awesome adventure. Get your backpacks together. We're going to go. And they're like, dad, we don't want to go. We don't like driving down the hill. Because when you live at Hume Lake, everything is down the hill, by the way. So you, t- you drive an hour and a half to Fresno just to go to the doctor or to go to a Target or whatever. They're like, we don't want to go down the hill. We hate going down the hill. He's like, trust me, you want to go down the hill this time. And they're like, no, we don't. And he's like, trust me, you do. And they're like, are you going to take us to McDonald's? And he's like, no, we don't have time to go to McDonald's. We're not going to McDonald's. That's not part of the plan. Like, you never take us to McDonald's. It's the only thing we want. We tell you every time, please take us to McDonald's and you never will. Why, dad, why? We're not going. 
unless you promise to take us to McDonald's, we're not going with you. And he's like, we don't have time for that. We're not going to McDonald's. Trust me. You're going to be happy we didn't go to McDonald's. like, no, we want to go to McDonald's. And, And so my buddy Eric packed his kids' backpacks. They got in the car. They drove down to Fresno to McDonald's. They let their kids play on the play place, which smells like pee. And, uh, and then they drove their kids back to Hume Lake. Those kids got exactly what they thought they wanted. They got exactly what they were begging for. If they'd have been able to pick an ideal place, they'd have picked McDonald's. But what their father had planned for them was infinitely better than anything they could imagine. What their father planned for them was better than what they could schedule on their own. And the same thing is true for us. I pray that as a family this year, as individuals, I pray that this is a year for us where we pursue the ideal posture, which is a posture of dependence and direction. A posture of faith that's looking at discovery, willing to go to new places. A posture of distribution of the blessings of God. And a posture of decision that when God calls us, Abram went. When God calls us, Darren goes. When God calls us, Fullerton Free moves. Because God's plan for us is better than our plan for ourselves. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you'd stir in us a different way to approach a fresh year. And as we come into this fresh year, as arbitrary as the calendar may be, as we come into the fresh year, we would see it as a, as a time, an opportunity to make a fresh start where what we're focused upon is our posture before you, a posture of faith that we would reject the idea of an, an ideal place or an ideal position an ideal image, an ideal reputation, that we would reject all of those things that might vie for our attention and instead we would recognize that what we need, regardless of where we go or how much we make or how healthy or unhealthy we are, regardless of what our relationships look like, God, that we can find your blessing and the opportunity to distribute your blessing when our posture is one of faith before you. Humble reception. God, will you create that difference in us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.